You've now locked into Living Blessed, the podcast, where we're talking the highs, the lows, the darkest moments that we've all hidden from the world, and everything in between. This is the moment of truth. This is why we're living blessed. And now, your host, Jovan J. Palmer. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Living Blessed, the podcast. I'm your host, Jovan J. Palmer. And as always, we got amazing people on the podcast sharing transparent and vulnerable moments. We are doing something new, so I'm going to let you introduce yourself, my good brother. Absolutely. Um, I'm Marcus Mayfield. I am part owner of Ambiance Event Space. I'm an event space owner, entrepreneur, um, new entrepreneur, so figuring it out. Ah, yeah, new here. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely so get I'm, it. So I got the, the beginning struggles, man, beginning struggles. Oh, for I'm, sure. I'm putting it together. Yeah. Um, so man, let's, let's go back, man. Let's, let's date back to young Marcus. Okay. Who was um, he? That's... That's actually a great question in the way you, you worded that, who was he? Um, I don't know. I don't know who I was. I never really had an identity. I was uh, originally born in Marietta. Marietta. Oh, you're from Georgia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. Yeah, but moved to California, so I'm, I'm, I'm from everywhere. But moved to, moved to California, Southern California, when my mom got married. So I was like three, four years old, and it was my mom and my stepdad, and my stepdad was very forceful mm. you know what i mean yeah. he was a comedian by trade mm. so you know funny on stage but when he gets home militant very militant so i never really had an identity so when you say who is marcus i was kind of i've learned to be quiet i was always like the less i say the less i get in trouble the less i touch the less i move the less i get involved in stuff the less i get in trouble i don't want to get in trouble so i was always fearful of getting in trouble but um we moved to California when I was young. I was probably three years old and moved back to Georgia when I was maybe 12, 13. And from 12 or 13, um, we moved to Atlanta at about 16, 17. I moved to Savannah with my grandmother because of issues with my stepfather uh, at that time. And we have a great relationship now, but at that time, uh, moved with my grandmother. And from there, joined the military, moved back to California. So Atlanta, Savannah, California, all my life. Mm. So what was the uh, feelings that you were experienced as a young kid? You know, were you saying like stepdad's real militant or he's comedian by day mm -hmm. and militant by night? What were the, some of the feelings you'll be experiencing as a child? Man, fear. As a, as a kid, it was fear. It was um, there was no way to really package it as a kid. You know, the only thing I knew was fear. I'm scared of this guy. So just growing up, I didn't want to do anything. I, I really enclosed myself in the room. I didn't have a voice. I didn't say much. I didn't do much because I never wanted to get in trouble. I always felt like I was being monitored. I always felt like if I do too much or if I do too little, I'll get chastised about something. So I chose not to do much. I didn't do anything. You know, so I didn't play a lot of sports. I didn't, I didn't do anything um, notable, I guess you would say. Yeah, yeah. So honestly, fear was the... Uh, how you kind of sum it up, I guess. Now, what are some of the things you feel like you are fearful of? Ah, uh, beatings, man. I don't know what they call it <laughs> nowadays. Whoopings, beatings, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, like I said, my dad, my stepdad was militant. And this is who I grew up with, so I call him my dad. But my stepdad was very militant. I was just scared of getting in trouble. So um, it was just a fear of getting beat, getting yelled at. I hated that. He had a very deep voice. I hated that deep voice. I hated hearing that that voice raised or hated getting my name called. You know, we had a two-story house and he was sitting in his office and, Marcus, I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. And I right, right. my sister and I'm like, what did I do? What did you do? What do mm. I have to answer for? You know, it was like a preparation for getting in trouble of some sort. So wow. 
So were there every moments where you had the fear of um, you had the fear of being in trouble for something, but when you answered to your stepdad or your mom or somebody, it wasn't trouble. Was there every moments like that? Like were there ever times you're like, oh, I can breathe. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So it was it was almost that feeling of when we didn't get in trouble. It was like, oh, thank God, it was that relief mm -hmm. because. You never knew what it was. Like, did I forget to vacuum the carpet? Did I forget to clean the bathroom? Did I forget to put this up? And then when you find out, hey, you want to go to the park? Like, oh, oh. But it was still <laughs> that fear of, right. yeah, I would like to go. I would like to do something. But what happens if I get in trouble or I do something wrong or I forget to tie my shoe mm -hmm. or I don't do something right? What, what does that look like? You know, I don't want to get yelled at. I don't want to get chastised about something I'm doing. So... Yeah, I would like to go because I feel like that's the right answer. Yeah, I should say that, but honestly, probably not. I don't want to go. I want to be in my safe zone. I want to stay in the room. I want to be quiet. I don't want to say anything. So mm -hmm. um, I think growing up and getting older, I understand it now, and I understand where he was coming from because it was a blended family, you know? I was, uh, I was his stepchild. He never referred to me and my sister as his stepchildren, but he wasn't my real dad, and he was battling with you know, raising somebody else's child, raising somebody else's kid and dealing with what my mother says, what my father says and what he thinks is right. Mm. So it was always that battle. And I understand that a little bit more being older. But at that time, I didn't get it. Now, where is your dad during these times? So my dad, my, my real dad, my biological father, he did live in California um, about an hour, maybe two hours away. So we had a relationship, but, you know, it was, uh, he was the fun dad. So. Yeah. When he picks us up, it's like, all right, I get to play the PlayStation. I get to play the Nintendo. We get to go out. We get to go have fun. This is what I'm looking forward to. And then that weekend's over. Mm. And I go back to what I would say reality. Yeah, yeah. So go back to reality. I'm like, okay, I got to be militant. And my mother would give us like a grace period. Like, hey, you know, I know you were at your dad's. You were having fun. You didn't have all these rules. So kind of, you know, tone it, tone it down. I'm going to give you some time. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah. protect you and stuff like that. But uh -huh. Remember, there's rules. You got to take out the trash. You got to do this. You got to clean, you, clean your room. You got to make your bed. You got to do this. You got to. So she would give us a grace period. But my real daddy, was, he was a fun dad. Anything we wanted, he would do. Mm -hmm. We wanted to go to Six Flags. All right, cool. Tomorrow we'll go to Six Flags. Hey, I, never, I need a PlayStation game. All right, tomorrow we'll go to Toys R Us. We'll get a PlayStation. So he was always the fun dad, I guess yeah. you would say. So, so what, what was the cause of your parents' divorce or separation? Or if they, even if they're together? Even I, together. Don't um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, as, as I guess at that age, I didn't know. I know now. Yeah. You know, obviously being older, being married, having kids and stuff. But at that time, I didn't know. We moved to California from Georgia when I was three years old. So, you know, at yeah. that time, it, it didn't yeah. register. My dad lived somewhere else. My mom lived somewhere else. And mm -hmm. that, that was life. It was it, there was no question of why. Why are you in this home and why are you in this home? It's like, no, nah, dad stays here. Mom stays here. And this is mom's boyfriend yeah this is my stepdad this is how life is there was no question about that so getting older i understand now i understand the differences my dad was a wild boy he was he was out there <laughs> so you know that was part of the reason yeah yeah so, yeah you know. okay so you have how many siblings Ooh, good question <laughs> <laughs> so i have one i have one sister my older sister who is same mother same father okay i have two younger twin sisters, uh, same father, different mother. They live in Georgia, um, and they just graduated, so I want to say they're maybe 18, 19. Um, then I have a half-brother in California, 
and he's late 20s, late 20s, so same father. And so that will put that will make five of us, me, my sister, my twin sisters, my brother. So five of us. OK. Yeah. So every in every household, there's always a different experience for each child. Mm-hmm. Do you have you ever like noticed a different experience for yourself versus your sister versus, you know, everyone else who's in the house? Absolutely. Um, now I talk to my sister more and I have a, I have an older cousin. We talk more. Mm-hmm. We all thought we were the black sheeps. Every but last we, one of y'all. We did, but we never discussed it. We never talked to each other to realize I feel this way. I feel different. Mm-hmm. I feel like an outsider. My sister felt that way. But me from the outside looking at my sister, my sister was a cool one. So in high school, my sister was, I was always known to go back to what you said about who was I. Yeah. I never had an identity because, um, I was always Sierra's little brother. Right, right, right. Oh, you're Sierra's little brother. They would never say, oh, you're Marcus. Oh, you do this, you do that. Mm-hmm. I was always Sierra's little brother. And to this day, there's people that see me, like, oh, you're Sierra's little brother. And I'm like, no, I'm Marcus, Marcus but that's right, my right. sister. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I always looked at her as a cool one. She was always with the, the big crowd of friends, the cool friends sitting at the cool table because we were about a year and a half apart. So I was one grade below her. I graduated 2006. She graduated hmm. 2005. So we went to the same school, same high school, same middle school, stuff like that. And I would always see her at the cool tables. And I was just kind of the dude like, all right, what up? And she was, oh, that's my little brother. I was a little brother. I was Sierra's little, little brother. brother. Yeah, that was it. There's never so, a name given to you. Right. Or never, not given to you or put on you for your identity right. purposes. And as, as getting older, I didn't realize that was an identity that people were giving to me. Right, right. They were giving me, you're the little brother. Mm-hmm. I didn't have my own personality. I was always whatever Sierra wanted me to be or whatever my father, my stepfather wanted me to be, whatever yeah. my mother wanted me to be. And that became my personality. Whatever someone wanted me to be, I can be there. So you were like the chameleon of your family, like adapting Absolutely. to whatever situation or person that you're in. This flies getting on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so adapting to whomever or wherever. So it's like, I guess getting older, you become very adaptable. But during that time, it's like- You lose yourself. You lose yourself and you yeah. don't, like you said, you don't know. Like when I asked you who you were, you was like, you can't think of who right. you were as a child looking right. at it, but of course, looking at it as an adult, you're like, okay, I knew right. that person was an identity, identityless person. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it, it, it's tough because everyone has a different picture of you. Your mm-hmm. grandmother, oh, that's a sweet boy. Your sister, oh, this is my little brother. He's a cool one. Your mom, he's he's never gets in trouble. My dad, he's in trouble. So you're always these different people and you learn to evolve in different scenarios and different that's good, settings. Right? That's really good. So I wouldn't even, at that time, I wouldn't call it evolving. It was changing. I was mm. changing who I wanted to be or who I thought I was to fit someone's scenario. As an example, my dad, he wanted me to play drums. And my sister picked up piano. And I was like, oh, I want to do piano. Yeah. He said, oh, no, you want to do drums. Like, All right. I guess I do want to do drums. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess, if that's what you want me to do, I'll yeah. do drums. And I never had a passion for it. But even to this day, I haven't learned to play piano. But I always see it, and I'm like, man. I Which, really wish I would have yeah, learned that. Yeah, that's you know how I feel I mean? about baseball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get that that feeling of I wish I would have spoke up or had a voice mm-hmm. to say this is what I want to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so in hindsight, looking back, and we're going to do like a lot of looking back. Okay, okay. <laughs> looking back on trying, as, like searching for your identity as a child and really just wanting to hone in on something. Mm-hmm. What's the thing that you wish you could have said to a stepdad or a grandma or mom or somebody that 
I just want to be this person. I just want to be Marcus. Like, can I right. be called Marcus? Can I just be Marcus for a day? Right. Man, I don't know, because I look at that little kid, and I don't think I had the voice or the power to really speak up. So I don't know, even now, if I could go back and talk to my, my younger self, I don't know if that younger self would have had the, the power to say, I don't want to do that. Mm. I don't agree with that. That's not me. I don't, I don't want to play football. I want to play the piano. Yeah. I want to do, I don't, I don't know. So I, I've honestly, now being 33, I'm just now figuring it out in my thirties, figuring out my voice. It's a, it's a good thing. And it's a problem. Oh, and, I, oh I get you. I get so you. in relationships for me, it's a problem Yeah. because now I got to be heard. Mm-hmm. And that may be a problem in relationships because it's like, we hear you, but we don't agree with you. And I'm like, no, you got it. This is the right way. Yeah. Hear me. I, mm-hmm. I got to be heard. You hear this. Look, I know it's right. I know it's right. Well, it may not be right. Yeah. And it causes conflict because I have to force my, my voice or my opinion on someone sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, because that little kid is saying, be heard. They got to hear you now. Yeah. You're, you're old enough. Speak up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to say, you know, you're older now, you'll speak up and you pretty much still fighting that inner child inside of you Absolutely. and trying to like talk to the inner child like man Absolutely. say something do something right don't let it be that way right how has that you know because you mentioned relationships mm-hmm. um of course you're married now but prior to your marriage how has that affected your relationships man um i gotta say my 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 children's mother, she's a great mother, so I never take that away from her, but that relationship allowed me to reset and actually find myself. Mm. So um, our first child that we had together, I was being someone I thought I should be. I was once again being that chameleon, kind of transforming into, oh, I gotta be the guy who, she's having my child, so I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna make sure dinner's prepared. She's gonna work, I'm gonna make sure her lunch is packed. Uh, her, ga- her car is empty, I'm gonna gas it up, I'm gonna clean it. And I was being, as tiring as it was to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta wake up before she goes to work to make sure her car is clean or she has gas. And I'm trying to, I wanted to commit to this relationship so much that I was honestly not being myself, I guess. Mm. I, was, I was changing and I was doing so much to say, I'm gonna give 100%, I'm gonna be whoever this person wants me to be, not who I want to be. Yeah. I'm going to be whoever she wants, whoever she wants to be. And during our first child, I found out she was talking to her ex. Mm. And I remember having a conversation with my best friend. And that conversation with my best friend, he was like, hey, how are things? You know, you got a baby on the way. How you doing? I'm like, man, life's perfect. I, I can't find a mistake. I can't find a problem. Right. I'm, I'm good. So... Um, when I found out that she was talking to her ex, and I asked her, I noticed things started changing about a week prior. I'm, you know, I'm making lunch, and she's like, I told you no cheese. I'm like, okay, no problem. And she would throw the sandwich, and I'm like. And I started noticing these little changes about a week prior. So when I found out she was talking to her ex, I was like, hey, um, let, me, let me ask you, have you been talking to him, let's say, about a week or so? Let me see your phone. And she gave me the phone and I looked. I said, yeah, it's been about a week. I've noticed those changes in you. And what she told me was, I think we move too fast. And I was like, I agree, but you're pregnant with my child. I can't take the child back. I can't stop what I'm doing now. I've transformed who I was or who I wanted to be to be everything for you. And now you're having a conversation with your ex trying to rekindle things. 
So at that time, um, to, I know this is a long way around the story. So at that time, I was somebody, I gave everything into this relationship. And when I found that out, I went off the hinges. I was, how the F can you do this? How can you, me, I do this for you, I do this. You haven't had to pay a bill. You haven't had to do this, blah, blah, blah. And I was, she ignored me. Like, while I'm like, when did you talk to him? What was the situation? Why didn't you defend me in this? When he asked you to come see him, you didn't say, let me check with my, with my fiance, my boyfriend. You said, let me think about it. You never defended me. And I'm fighting for you and this child every day. I'm making sure you don't have to lift a finger. You don't cook. You don't do anything. Why didn't you defend me? And she didn't answer. She never said anything. And it threw me off the hinges. And I went downstairs and grabbed a knife and just two long strokes in my arm. I said, I can't do it. I've given myself to someone for the last time. I've changed myself to someone who I don't want to be for the last time. I'm done. I don't want to do it. And too long, got a kitchen knife, very sharp kitchen knife, and two stripes across. Because the first one, I heard it. It sounded like... You heard it? I, you can, it was like pulling a zipper. It was... And I didn't see anything. There was no blood or anything, so I went for the second time. And it was like pulling leather apart. And I sat in the kitchen, whether well, nights were sat in the kitchen, and she was a nurse. So she came in there and she, oh, let me see it. I was like, don't touch me. Don't, don't, you don't care. You're just doing a job at this point. You're a nurse, you're doing a job. You're not trying to help me. You're just trying to stop the bleeding. I need help. Like in my head, this is what I'm thinking. Like I need help. Yeah. I need something. So for me, that was a reset. Like, I don't have to pretend to be this person anymore. And that was the decline of our relationship. So she ended up calling my sister, and my sister has always been my support system. And my sister was the only one who was like, come to me now. So I wrapped my arm up, drove to my sister, and she was like, we're going to the hospital. Went to the hospital and made up. Once again, chameleon, changed myself into something. And mm. hey, what happened? Wow, oh, you know, I was moving furniture and didn't see and made up this elaborate lie. They stitched me back up and was like, all right, well, have a good day. And that was it, you know, no psychological evaluation, but having those conversations with my sister, I realized that suicide is almost like, a, it's like a drug or an addiction. It's, it's a disease, it's not something you just do. It's something that it's almost in you and you have to battle with that every day. You have to battle with figuring out why you went to that point, how to never get to that point so for me, I had to reset. And I was like, you know what? I can't pretend to be this person or that person or anybody else than who I am. So who am I? And I started to define myself. And I'm like, you know what? I want to do this. And I started making decisions without asking people. And it best thing in my life. I stopped talking to people. I stopped, hey, what do you think about this idea? Oh, I don't think that's a good idea. Because then I would transform it. Yeah, you're right. You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And that's when soon after found my wife and you know we started talking and she really kind of healed me and gave me the assurance I needed to be who I wanted to be so I know it's kind of deep but nah, you know. man. yeah it was deep but <laughs> I appreciate that story man like it shows a different side of who you are right man it's like of course we've known each other but I've really like not really mm -hmm. know you like after of course after now but so have you ever been suicidal as a child? Has suicide been across your mind as a kid? Or was it like this was like the buildup of 
everything and this was my moment. I think that was the buildup of everything. It was the it was the crying out to say, you got to hear me now. Somebody got to hear me because as a child, no one hears you. As a teenager, no one hears you. As a young adult, no one hears you. And it's like, someone got to hear me. Like, I'm, I'm struggling to be the best father, the best boyfriend, the best fiance, the best son, the best brother. But who's being the best friend to me? Who's listening to me? And I never felt that until I would say the, the reset. So when I did the reset, it was almost like everything stopped for a moment. And yeah. people started listening like, whoa. I would have never expected that from you because, like I said, some people saw me as this or mm-hmm. that. You know, my mother, oh, you were the, the quiet child, the, the you never got in trouble. I was like, yeah, but did you ever hear me? Did you ever listen to me? Yeah. Now I'm, I'm trying to say something. Can you hear me now? So it was a, it was a reset for me. And that was the, the quiet moment that I needed for people to hear and say, you know what? Maybe he is going through something. Maybe we do need to listen. And I... As extreme as that may have been, I didn't see it like that in the moment, but that may have been what I needed for people to say, all right, Marcus has something to say. Yeah. What is it? And I no longer felt like I was Sierra's little brother or whatever else. I felt like I was Marcus. What does Marcus have to say? Mm-hmm. What does he want? And I began to kind of draw that picture for myself as a young adult of this is what I want. This is how I see my life. And I always wanted whoever I had a child with to be, to be my wife, my forever family. And I had to reset everything. Like, you know what? That's not my life anymore. I can't paint that picture of this is, this is my family, this is my wife, because I, I saw the turmoil in that of like, we argued every single day, even though we had children on the way. And soon after we had another child, I got to throw that in there too. So the pressure of... Not going to skip over that. (laughs) Yeah. So my son, I I don't remember the exact date when this happened, when I I did that, but it was September. And from the stress of it, I believe it sent her into early term labor. So from that point, I then had to kind of like, all right, it's not about me for a second. Let's go to the hospital. And she had the baby maybe a week or two later. So it was like, all right, now I'm daddy mode. And... But it gave me that reset, and we, like I said, we fought almost every day. And I realized, like, okay, the pictures that I had painted of this is my family, that may have to change. Let me reset it. Let me change. Let me, let me stop and figure out exactly how I want my life to look. And I had to come to grips with this isn't going to be my wife. This, she's a great mother to the kids. My kids are amazingly smart, um, and they love her to death. I love her for being a great mother to the kids. But... I can't love her for me. So I had to understand those things and I had to kind of transform because I realized that dream of mine was my stepfather's dream. He wanted the family, the picket fence. And I was like, I can't, you know, from him growing up in a, in a, um, or raising a, um, a household with kids that aren't necessarily his. And then he having his own kids, those were always the struggles that he would teach and preach of like, when you have a family, you stay with that family. This is how you want to do it. And I kind of molded myself into, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Whoever I have a kid with, whoever I marry, that's who I have a kid with. And we're going to get married, white picket fence. We're going to do this. We're going to invest. We're going to retire. It was all planned out. And when, that, when you scratch that plan, say, you know what? That's not what I never wanted that. What do I want? I'm okay with this. I saw how you did it. I turned out okay, I believe, maybe. And I think I can do it. So now I have 
a similar family, I guess you would say, a kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, a mixed family with, uh, I have an older son who's 10 from my wife, and then my two youngest. Okay, okay. So you have a blended family? Yes, absolutely. So as an adult, finding your voice, mm-hmm. finding Marcus, who would you, who would you say he is now? Mm, I would say Marcus is whoever he chooses to be in the moment and can change at any moment. So who I am last year may not be who I am today, and I'm okay with changing. Mm-hmm. So I used to get caught up in like, I got to do this because then people are going to think that this. So I know we had a conversation kind of off camera about being new entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, I've thought about going back to a job. The old Marcus would have been like, I can't go back to a job. Then people think that I'm struggling. But the new Marcus is like, you know, it's, it's cool. Certain things may not work out, and the timing may not have been good. Let me reset. I'll go back to a job, stack some bread, and then I'll come back to an entrepreneur, and I still have my businesses. I still have these things in place. So maybe I need a little – I'm okay with that. I'm okay with how people perceive me because I feel comfortable just being me. I'm cool. Whatever I am, I'm cool. I don't need a 1,000 friends. I don't have to sit at the cool table. Like, I'm all right. I'm cool. I love that for you. How does that feel? Ah. Man, it's it's honestly freeing, and it's a balance, though. It's mm. definitely a balance because there are times where I get caught up. And I'm like, oh, man, the new Jordans come out. I've never worn Jordans, but yeah. I'm like, oh, I want them too. I'm like, you know what? I've never worn Jordans. I'm, I'm cool without the Jordans. I don't, I've never had them. 33 years old. I'm not trying to appeal to anyone. I'm cool. Let me get the Adidas. I take those. So I think it's the freeing aspect of I don't have to pander into anybody's idea of what cool is or mm-hmm. what an entrepreneur is or who Marcus is. Yeah. I can be whatever I want as long as I'm happy and I feel that my family is happy. So me, my wife, my children, as long as we can come to an agreement on what we like to do, um, I'm cool. And we, we have, my wife and I, we have that conversation all the time of, you know, everyone says when you get married, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that. I don't agree with that. She said, oh, the wife's supposed to cook. The guy goes to work. He fends for the family. He pays all the bills. I'm like, that doesn't work for us all the time. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But we can balance. Yeah. Let's have that balance and bounce back and forth. Sometimes you pay the bills. I don't feel any type of way that when, before I quit my job, my wife was making more than me. Mm-hmm. I felt no type of way about that. You know, because we had a balance. And I'm cool. I'm like, okay. I don't, I don't feel any type of way. Sometimes she buys dinner. Sometimes I buy dinner. There's never an obligation and I enjoy that, that I don't have to listen to someone else's voice say, well, you're supposed to pay for dinner. You're supposed to do this. Well, we don't. And yeah. It works. Is there ever a time where those voices come back to you and you're fighting against the voice because you're in this new space of I'm, I'm being me, I'm doing what I want to do. And then mm-hmm. sometimes you may try to make a decision on something. Mm-hmm. And then you may hear your stepdad's voice, or your mom's voice, or your grandma's voice, or your ex-wife's voice. Yes. How is it deciphering between, or not even deciphering, but saying, you know, canceling out though the noise of other people's voices and really sticking to your decision? That's, it's, it's, yes. So to answer that question, yes, those voices do creep back up. Mm-hmm. You do want to be societal norm. This is what society does. This is what my mother says I should do. My father says I should do. Yes, it creeps up. But knowing that I got to that low point based on following other people's opinion, I always keep that in the back of my head and I weigh, how is this gonna affect me? How is this gonna affect my family? Does it make sense for me? I, I think that about every decision 
when someone tells me something, I'm like, mm, do I really want to do that? How does that affect me? How does that affect my wife? How does that affect my kids? It's going to mess up our situation. So I can't agree with that. I hear you. I get it. I understand it. But for me and my family, that doesn't make sense. And so I always have to kind of keep that picture in my head of remember where you were, find that balance because I feel like I'm a personality that has extreme highs and extreme lows. Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever have that kind of middle ground. When I'm in that middle ground, I'm always searching for that extreme high or that extreme low, I guess you would say. So I have to find that balance of don't listen to this opinion because that may take you to that extreme low. You'll eventually turn into this person if you keep listening to that advice or you'll turn into this person if you listen to this advice. So I think it's just being aware of those voices. When you hear it, you have to realize who's telling you that. Is my dad saying that? Yeah, my dad says that a lot. I'm, let me think about that. What do I really want to do? So just being aware, I think that's really helped me to balance myself out because, like I said before, I think suicide is a disease. I think it's something that never goes away. It kind of creeps up on you at times where you have those thoughts of, I went this far, nothing happened. What if I go further? Mm -hmm. If I really want to reset or if I want to stop at all, I can go to this point. And you always have to battle with that of, I never want to get to this point, so I won't make that choice, or I won't listen to that voice, or I won't listen to this voice. So, so what are some of the things that have made pushed you back towards suicide, and how have you been able to just stop yourself in that moment? Oh, man. Um, it's kind of like the, the first Matrix movie when Neo saw the cat walk by, and then he went to the next room and saw the cat walk by again. And it was the same scenario. So there are scenarios where I'm like, this scenario looks familiar. Mm. I remember when I got in an argument with my ex and I may have a disagreement with my current wife. I'm like, oh, this looks similar. This looks similar. And I just have to be aware of, okay, what happened last time? Don't go down that road or stop for a second. You know what? I'm not feeling the best to talk right now. Let's come back to this conversation because I'm upset. Yeah. I can tell that you're upset. I don't want to say something. I don't want to get to a point that I don't agree with, let's pause for a second and then let's come back to this conversation. So I think once I see those, those, uh, those cats again, once I see it come by again and it, I realize it in my head, like this looks familiar. I kind of balance like, all right, what did I do last time? And how did I make the mistake to go down that road of suicide? And what do I do now to not go down that road? Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, just being aware and being truthful with yourself. And I think I battle a lot with, um, not saying anything. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing, I, I think that may be a male thing, is to, I got to say it, or maybe the child in me, I have to be the last word. I have to be heard. So I battle a lot with, like, this may not be the time to be heard. Just shut up. Mm -hmm. Don't say anything right now. Take time. Gather your thoughts. Figure out where you're trying to go with this, what you're trying to do, and take it from there. So, Have you ever sought out therapeutical help for the suicides? Yes. Um, and currently, currently doing it now. Okay. Um, but I went to, I don't know the difference, psychologist, psych. So psychologist, psychiatrist, psychiatrist psych, more so right. on the medical side of things. A okay. psychologist is more so like a degree person from college. So the medical side, which one is that? Medical side is a psychiatrist. So I went and spoke with a psychiatrist and, you know, I, I sought out a, a African-American. So he was a black dude, talked to him and I felt like he was hearing me and listening, but I think for him, it was a 
selection of which drugs was the answer. Mm. Like his final answer was going to be some type of drug. Yeah. So hearing my story, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go right. Oh, okay, go right, go right. Yep, you need this drug. And so I did get prescribed uh, antidepressants, anxiety medication, and a post delayer. I'm not sure what the technical names were, but mm. one of them delays my response so I don't blurt out and stuff like that. But what I realized, it turned me into a zombie. Yeah. And I was like, I can't, I don't, I don't have a desire to want to do anything. I was content with life. I was content with sitting down watching TV or there was no drive. It took my drive out of me. I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I didn't care whether I went to work or whether I was late, whether I was on time. I was very just docile, just kind of out of it. And I was like, I don't like this. Sex drive, everything gone. I didn't want to do anything. So I was like, yeah, I can't do this. And I stopped taking it. And I did a couple of counseling sessions. And I just didn't find anyone who suited me. And currently seeking more counseling, marriage counseling, and, and single counseling. Uh, not single counseling, but yeah. individual <laughs> counseling, you know, not single. My wife killed me right now. I said, what? You, you trying to be single? <laughs> no. So individual counseling and then marriage counseling just yeah. to, you know, to, to have someone to vent to and, and to hear me, I guess, yeah. essentially. So, yeah. So now that you're a lot more self-aware, mm-hmm. you understand Marcus, you understand your being, mm-hmm. your, I feel like you, you seem fulfilled in a sense. Yes. Like a life fulfillment has happened. And you're in, like, maybe, like, phase one or phase two. Right. I say phase one. Phase one? Yeah. Okay. So being that you're in phase one, I'm going to ask you two questions. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you one question because I'm going to save the other question for later. Okay. Um, what do you want phase two to look like? Or have you ever thought about now that I'm in this, I've broken through, I've shattered the glass, I've shattered the brick wall that I, that's been stopping me from getting to this person. Mm-hmm. Have you ever sat back and said, you know what, this is what I want phase two of my life to look like? And if so, what are some of those things? Um, I Honestly, I feel like this podcast is a transition into a phase two. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I believe awareness of mental illness and awareness of my personal struggles um, and having a platform like this to actually tell people. So when they see me and understand, like, Man, he's always happy. This is why I choose to be happy because of this. I choose to have a great personality because of this. And um, so I think that's phase one, transitioning into two. So I think two is more so awareness. And I like what The Breakfast Club does and Charlemagne the God does. He speaks about it. He talks about it to make it normal because I do think other people go through this process. I do think people have these struggles. And I think as young black boys and black men, we don't have that platform. We don't have the resources. And we're not taught to say, you know what, I feel this way. How do you feel? Mm. And, you know, so I try to teach my boys that okay. of like, how do you feel yeah. right now? And I think my oldest, um, and my oldest has autism. So for him to speak and to get his point across is difficult. So I try to make it of, how do you, why are you crying? Why do you feel that way? And he's, I'm, I'm scared. Is it scared? Are you really scared? Like doing homework, you know, and he may start crying. Why are you crying? Because I'm scared. Are you really scared? Or are you embarrassed? Or, and I try to give him the tools and the words to understand, like, 
you can express it, say what it is, and maybe I can define it, and then maybe I can take a different route. Because you're not, you don't accept things or you don't receive things the way that I do. So let me figure out how you receive it. So you're crying because you're embarrassed. Okay, now you're not scared, you're embarrassed. So let me show you how to not be embarrassed. Let's take another approach. Let me show you how to add or calculate this so you're never embarrassed again. Um, so I think the awareness is phase two, the awareness and, and understanding that more people go through this and you opening your mouth, having a voice will sometimes put you in the, in the right rooms, put you in the right direction, so. And I bet your son, um, the one who's autism, um, who has autism, mm -hmm. he can appreciate the fact that you're there for him to allow for him to have a voice. Right. Because it's like, I feel like you're reflecting on who you were, mm -hmm. and you're also, in a good way, projecting to your child that I don't want you to not have a voice because you may have this disability. Right. And I say that in air quotes. Right, absolutely. Um, because what you're doing for him is what somebody didn't do for you. Right. And how old is he? He's 10. 10, you're empowering him right now. Right. And I feel like that's an amazing thing for him because he's gonna find his voice maybe at 10 and a half, 11, right. 12. Right. And he's gonna look, it's kind of like the, taking the training wheels off. Right. And he's gonna look at you like, daddy, I, I want to take the training wheels off. I got it. Right. And for you, it's gonna be like that proud dad moment. Right. Where it's like, I did that. Right. I was there. And Absolutely. everything that everything that I didn't have, I can provide to you. And it's not like you're overcompensating, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I'm sure you're not, but it's more so like you're giving the direction that you didn't have as right. a, a child. Right. So with that said, if you can go back and speak to young Marcus, mm. voiceless, powerless Marcus, what would you say to him? I would say you have a voice. Your voice is powerful. Don't be afraid to speak. Speak up. Say what it is, how you're feeling. And they'll hear you eventually. Keep speaking. Don't ever be afraid to speak. Don't ever be afraid to talk. But you need to say what it is. Is the issue, what's the problem, and how you're feeling. I think that's what I would say. And to somebody who's either experienced through the suicide or mm -hmm. thinking suicide, what would you say to them? I would give them the same message. You have to, you gotta talk to someone. You need to find who your anchor is. For me, my anchor at that time was my sister. Um, find who your anchor is, reach out to that person and express to them, I need a minute for you just to stop, put everything down and listen to me. This is what I'm feeling. I'm feeling this way. I need someone to talk to. This is what I'm thinking about doing. I don't know what to do. You have to have an anchor. Find out who it is, who you can anchor to. And if you don't have anyone to anchor to, I think that's part of the journey of life is finding these people you can put in position to be able to support you, not only as friends to go out and hang out with, but emotionally. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know how much time we got. But we, got to, we got time, brother. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we got to, time. to kind of... When I went to the military, I didn't talk to my stepfather uh, for years because when I moved to Savannah with my grandmother, what I thought he said to me was, you can't make it without me. Mm. So for me, it was a challenge. Like, I don't, I don't need to talk to you and I'm gonna show you what I can do. And when I got in the military, I got in some trouble and I needed an anchor. I didn't have one. Um, 
And he called me randomly while I was going through something. And I was like, I needed you to call me. I needed that call. And he was like, what's going on? And I'm like, look, I'm on the brink of getting kicked out. This is what's going on. And he coached me through it. And that was the start of our relationship. So I didn't have an anchor at the time. And by the grace of God, he called me and was like, look, I'm here. I understand we have our differences. We'll talk through that later. Let's get you through this. We got through that situation. I left the military honorably. You know, I never got discharged or anything. Um, and to this day, my stepfather, like, if I go through something, he's the first one I call. Hey, mm. what's going on, man? I need some help with something. And he gives me that guidance. So he's, he's my anchor at times. And, you know, I have different anchors and different people I can, I can hold on to, to to help me. So um, the long way around your question is uh, <laughs> if anyone's thinking you got you to gotta, – you got to learn to forgive. You have mm -hmm. to understand that things that may have been said may be the way, may not have been what you understood it to be. Yeah. So what I understood my father, my stepfather to say was, you won't make it without me. What we eventually talked about and broke down was, he said, it's going to be more difficult without the guidance of a male like me in your life. So you moving with your grandmother or a female as a young man, you need a male in your life to help guide you through this path. Mm -hmm. But I heard you won't make it without. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, once again, finding that anchor and understanding your differences may be a conversation. It's a simple conversation to figure out what your differences are with someone. But if your anchor is that person that you have a difference with, mm -hmm. you need to find that understanding. Come to that common ground, find that understanding, and hold on to that person because life is ebbs and flows. It's ups and downs. Yeah. So you're going to need somebody eventually. So – in the rebuilding phase of you and your stepdad's relationship, mm -hmm. have you guys ever had the time or the opportunity to actually discuss like childhood or discuss like, you yep. know, your teen years? And if yep. so, like, how has that conversation, like, what was the conversation like? Um, I'll tell you the sum of the conversation because it, these are multiple conversations. Mm -hmm. My dad, my, my stepdad is an open book. He's like, tell me, tell me how you felt. What was going on? What was going through your head? Let me explain what was going on in my life. Let me, so, he broke down some things going on in his life. I was like, oh, I didn't understand as an adult. Me being a child, you as an adult, I didn't realize you had struggles and issues. I thought you had it all figured out. So as a child, I'm thinking you got it all figured out and you're coming down on me. And, you know, having that conversation and understanding his side of the story, him understanding my side of the story, what summed it up for me, because I thought my dad was perfect. My stepdad was perfect. And I, I call him my dad because he raised me. That's my dad. So... Um, I thought he was perfect, and he summed it up for me and said, I didn't have it figured all out. I was trying to figure it out as I go. I did what I thought was best at the time. I made a lot of mistakes, and you're going to make a lot of mistakes. But I did what was best at the time. And to me, that was eye-opening, like, you didn't have it figured out? I thought you knew everything. And he was like, I didn't. I didn't know everything. I did the best that I knew how to do. I wanted to make sure you were prepared, your sister were prepared, my kids were prepared for the real world. And that's what I knew. And he explained, you know, situations with his father and the way that his father dealt with things. And he said, I was a better version of my father. You're going to be a better version of me. And your kids will be a better version of you. So continue to build on what the foundation that I gave you. It may not have been right, but this is a foundation. So build on that and then build that with your kids and they'll build on that so just give them more than what I gave you and so on and so forth so me understanding that he made mistakes I'm like oh 
damn. It's like a different perspective. Yeah, and he essentially apologized for it like, I'm sorry. I didn't understand that your sister was the tough one. She needed to be, I needed to be hard on her. I didn't realize you were so soft and sensitive. I should have been a little softer and sensitive with you. I didn't have a balance is what he told me. Mm. He said, for me, there was no, if I told you to do it, she had to do it. If she did it, you did it. There was no, that's a girl, that's a boy. He's softer, she's rougher. There was no in between. If I tell one to do it, they all do it. And he said, find that balance. Understand that some kids receive differently. So even though they're the same kid, same mother, they may receive differently. Same father, they receive differently. So he said he never had that. He didn't understand that. And he's learning it now. And, you know, I can see that with the grandkids and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, man, you let him jump on the couch. Like, what the <laughs> hell? Like, we couldn't play down here at all. We couldn't leave the room and get in it. But you let them. <laughs> but he understands now, uh -huh. like, there's a balance. I got I to gotta understand that the way that I talk to you can't be the same way I talk to them because yeah. the reception is going to be different. Mm -hmm. You'll receive it differently. I can say the same exact thing, but you'll receive it differently than what he received it or she received it because two different personalities. So understanding people's personalities and how to give a message is uh, basically what he said. And then he said sorry, and he makes mistakes. And I, I, I tell you, it took all the weight off my shoulders. All the, all the like animosity I had with him as a child of like, well, you used to beat us and you used to do this and you always yelled and this and this. I made mistakes, I'm sorry. I didn't know any better. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. I forgive you. And our relationship is great now. So I talk to him at least once, twice a week, you know, just to call, check up. So our relationship is great. And I have a great relationship with my real dad. He's in Florida now, so. He's still the fun dad. Anytime yeah. I want to turn up and go to Miami, <laughs> I call him. He's my drinking partner. Uh -huh. My sister is still my anchor. Um, and me and my mother, we've recently had a conversation similar to what uh, my stepfather and I had some years ago. And me and my mother are closer than ever now. So I think as we grow, we, we get more understanding and involved. So in a good place, man. I love it. As, as you were telling the story, man, I just I see the good place that you're in. Absolutely. Like it, it just, it's, it looks good on you. Thank and it, you. And you're wearing it well. Thank you. Man, so I commend you, man. Um, I'm going to do a quick commercial real quick. Absolutely. And then, man, close us out with something powerful, man. Speak to somebody's younger self and speak to somebody's current self of where you were and where you are going. And what a good jazz. Mm. You got time. Okay. <laughs> Gotta admit it, I think. This episode is sponsored by the Embolden Institute. It's my space where I send out daily messages of hope and affirmation. If you are looking to receive these things every day on a daily basis, seven days a week, 365 days a year, text me, four, oh crap, dang, 4446 That's 404-476-6780. I got too many phone numbers to remember. <laughs> text me the word heal or text me the word affirmation or text me the word heal or affirmation back to back and I will get you on my text list. Um, it's me talking to you directly. You can respond to the text if you're feeling it. You want to throw a little hand emoji or you got a question, just, re just reply back. I'll respond to you in a timely manner, timely fashion. And like I said, we're walking this journey together. You never want to walk a journey alone because it's not fun. As you heard from Marcus, he had to walk a journey by himself, but he also found in that journey that he, there was hope there was someone to affirm him, and he found that in himself. He found it in his stepdad and his mom. So listen, text me so we can help you find your affirmation and help you find your hope. Marcus, man, thank you again. Absolutely. appreciate you. you. Oh, no doubt, man. Thank you. Man. This is a very insightful story, man. I, I know it's going to help somebody because you don't realize it helped me. Really? 
Yeah, um, transparent moment. I mean, my parents have been going through the same thing, like, you know, through therapy, like, you know, like my dad said the same as that thing that your stepdad said. I was just trying to figure it out. And I was still like wanting to hold that. Yeah, I still wanted to hold on to it. I was like, y'all, I, like, I got to let it go. Right. Got to let it go. And like, our relationship is getting stronger. Right. Yeah. So, man, like I say, like everyone's story is like, I, it's always we can piece it together somehow, right. some way. Somehow, some way, man. So, thank you again, man. Absolutely. Close us out. So, to close it out, um, I'm going to say everyone's portrait is different. Hmm. Don't allow anyone to paint your portrait. It doesn't matter what it looks like, paint it yourself. Paint your own portrait. You can take advice, you can take criticism, but you got to paint it yourself. Don't allow someone to draw your hand for you. I love it. It gets no better than that. That's another episode. We are out. Peace.